Hey, dental online trainers, Dr. Dennis Hartley here with you. Today, I'm going to play the role of mixologist. That's right, we're gonna create a cocktail. In today's cocktail, we're gonna combine one part perseverance, one part of overcoming adversity, one part of just not quite knowing what you wanna be when you grow up someday. And you're gonna add a couple dashes of a best friend that leads you to your chosen profession. Well, you mix that all together and you get to understand my guest today, Dr. Amanda C. And in part one of our conversation, Amanda's gonna talk about her background and the influences of being a child of Vietnamese parents and how her best friend just convinced her that she should be going to dental school. So kick back and relax and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Amanda C. Hello, dental online trainers, Dr. Dennis Hartley with you again for another exciting ShareCast. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with one of my, I don't know, I guess good friend, Amanda C., who is joining us today from her comfort in South Carolina. Amanda is someone who doesn't really need much introduction if you, unless you live under a rock. And we'll talk about her presence on social media and stuff a little bit later. But if you don't know about Amanda, I want to give you a little bit of her background before I bring her in. Amanda, oh, and she's got a puppy in the background. And you may Hi. hear my cat come in and sit on my computer and disrupt things as we go along. But that's okay. We don't mind the dog. Amanda is a University of South Carolina graduate, undergrad. And she went to NYU for her dental school experience. She is, and I want to learn all about how she got to where she was or where she is and how her formative years and stuff. But just for those who don't know, she's a fellow accredited member of the AACD or recent fellow 2020, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, um, the class of 2020. <laughs> class of 2020. And she's co-founder with Adamo, and I won't even say, I'll just say Adamo Elvis because I can't say his last name properly, of, of Impress, their teaching program. She is a devoted Cozian, a COIS uh, clinical instructor. So I call you guys all Coisians. I don't know if that's, uh, right. I take that as a compliment. You're a clinical instructor you're on their advisory board. I think you do a whole bunch of stuff with uh, with the COIS Teaching Center. You're a KOL for Ivoclar, and so that's key opinion leader uh, for Ivoclar and other people, other companies out there. You've written a ton of publications. You're um, you're in private practice. Um, you have, I think, four kids, and you have one husband, if I recall. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Right. All right. So, Amanda, welcome to our ShareCast. We call it a ShareCast because it's all about sharing. For me, you know, at my age, because I'm, you know, I'm getting to that age where you can just speak freely and openly. This sharecast is because I get to sit down and ask people questions, things I'd like to talk to them about. And the only time you can usually do these type of questions when you're sitting around over a cocktail. But the reality is there's always too many people around to have these sort of intimate conversations. So this is my excuse to be able to ask questions that I've always wanted to ask people. And so you are, you're our next guest. And I, I want to ask about all sorts of stuff about who you are and how you got to be where you are and stuff. So welcome to our showcast. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Yeah, it's kind of long-winded, wasn't it? No, it was great. That was, that was quite the intro. I, I appreciate that. Did, did you know that you did all that? Oh, and I forgot. I think you were, you helped um, create the vaccine for COVID-19 too in your spare time. <laughs> did you not? Right? Were you, you were instrumental yeah, in that? On a, I was on task force. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, oh my goodness. Great. 
Yeah. So Amanda, I've been fortunate to be able to teach a lot of dental students in um, at through Marquette and stuff. And I have a little study club that I run, or actually someone else now is running one of the former students, a lot of female de- young dentists and stuff. Okay. And when I sort of, you know, I, I, I posed to them, hey, who would you guys like me to get on my podcast, my Surecast? And they said, oh, you got to get Amanda C on. So you're beloved and you're an inspiration and you're a great influencer for young female dentists out there. I'm sure you hear that all the time. And if you don't, I'm here to tell you that I've secondhand, I have people coming up and they want to hear from Amanda C. And so thank you for joining us. It's an honor and it's a pleasure to have you here. So I'm so excited to talk to you because I have so many questions to talk to you about. All right. So so Amanda, tell me about your background. Did you grow up in South Carolina? No, I did not. I was born in Virginia Beach and I lived there till I was about seven or eight. My dad is first generation to this country and an entrepreneur at heart. So he just has done so many different businesses. And with that, we've moved around quite a bit. So Virginia is where I was born, moved in New, to New Jersey, Maryland. I was called Maryland my home because I was there from middle school to high school. Yeah, I would call Maryland my home. But then after I graduated high school, my parents actually got divorced and my father moved to Texas and my mother moved to California. So no one was really in Maryland, which was home for me anymore. So it was just kind of this period in my life where I didn't really didn't have a lot of direction, to be honest, you know, because I feel like I'm so hyper focused now. But at that time growing up, I just I didn't know what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be, or what the next four years of my life were going to look like even. I mean, I just didn't have a clue. Can I interrupt you for a second? So two things. First of all, is it true that Virginia is for lovers? Because... Or is a Virginia beaches for lovers, right? Yeah. So it's funny. You know, I only lived there till I was like eight or so. And my father owned a hotel in Virginia Beach. And on the outside, he had this sign that said Virginia beaches for lovers. I remember as a kid just reading that and thinking, I don't really understand what that means. What is that? You know, so to answer your question, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> okay. I do know that it's everywhere for, in Virginia Beach, but... That's where we used to vacation. When I was a kid, we'd drive down from Detroit. My dad had family in Virginia Beach, and that's where we used to vacation when I was a little kid. So I have, I have really fond memories of Virginia Beach. But I cannot speak to the, the, the lover part because, again, I was a kid, and I <laughs> can't speak to that. Where, where did your dad immigrate from? Vietnam. So okay. I was born here, but my father came over when he was 18. So he was the first in his family to come over here to study. And he came before the war, actually and was writing letters to his family to tell him like, this is happening. Like this, this is really going to happen. We need to find a plan to get out. And so my grandfather was a judge in Vietnam. So he was actually taken by the communists and imprisoned. So my dad is an 18 year old. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, he came over here, went to community college, worked a full-time construction job, graduated in three years, brought his entire family over, over the next I don't know, five, six years, lived in their, in a small house. They all lived there, taught them English, got them clothes, everything. And they're all professionals now, you know? So sometimes it's funny. I mean, when I was coming out of dental school, I had all this debt and everything. And I complained to my dad, my dad's like laughing at me, like, you don't, you don't know adversity, like you're fine. You know, it's right. all good. And it's perspective. It really is sometimes, sure because, is. You, you know, you realize at, at 18 years of age, and I think about the person that I was at that age to do what my dad did. It's pretty incredible. It, these stories of uh, people immigrating to the U.S. and you hear it over and over, which is, I think, one of the best things about this country is the stories you get to hear from immigrants and, and children of immigrants 
how the success stories, the challenges that they came through, and you look back and you look at your life and you see it's, world, you know, first first world problems that we have, right? As we talked about before we started the broadcast. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. I cannot imagine, um, even though you may not have been aware of it as a youngster, that had to affect you and sort of maybe some of the disciplines that you have today, right? And the circumstance that you were raised in that had to have some sort of bearing on how you sort of became the person you are, no? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I know, I don't think, I learned perseverance from, from all of it. I mean, from just the grandfather that I didn't meet for 20 years, but heard all these stories about, you know, that living in prison, being fed a bowl of rice every day, not seeing his children. I remember that moment of meeting my grandfather for the first time after hearing about it. And just like hearing about my father, I mean, he just never gave up, you know, like it, he never said how hard something was. He would just do it. He would just put his head down and say, I'm going to make this happen for my family. And, you know, we, we grew up modestly and my dad became uber successful later in life, because like I said, he was an entrepreneur, but I mean, I grew up modestly and I, he just worked so hard. And even when he made his money and businesses, it didn't change the way his, his work habit. I mean, it was, right. he was still the same person. He would just always be working or moving to the next project. I always learned that from him, put your best and hard work pays off. Don't quit. And with my mom, I think I learned the value of family and the importance of that, that they love you unconditionally. And so it's, I don't know, I actually get emotional thinking about it. I, I learned sure. so much the way I was raised and right. for sure it, it impacts me. So, you know, here I am at a place where I can give my children much more than I had growing up. But, you know, I want them to know that value in some way. So it's much yeah. harder to say, like, clean your toilet. Because I grew up, I mean, I cleaned everything. I'm sure you did right. too, Dennis. Sure, right? absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But we're at a place where, you know, how do I teach all those same values to my kids? And living in a world of, like, immediate consumption of everything, you know. It, yep. It's just, it's different. Because while I'm American, I'm, I was born here. Those, you know, Asian culture and those values that I have are very much instilled in me that I want to instill in my children too. Do you have siblings? Yes. So I'm the oldest of four. I have two brothers and a sister. Yeah. So when you were talking earlier, you're saying that your path then when you were in school, uh, you're in Maryland in high school and stuff. So how'd you end up going to USC? First of all, if you're in Maryland, how come not University of Maryland? How'd you end up at USC? It's honestly, Dennis, it's if you would have met me and the person that I was back then, I was a completely different person. And it's, it's funny because I, I talked about it before and the divide was not that dental school was the thing that changed me, but before dental school, like I said, I think I was so focused on the hardships of my childhood and, and wanting it to be different than what it was. So I, I didn't have focus, right? And my best friend, Erin, who's still my best friend to this day, she, you might know her. Do you know Erin De Palma? I don't. Mm -mm. But if you saw her, I think you'd recognize her. Anyways, her family was the perfect family to me in the sense of they had meals together every night. They took vacations together. They would go to all her school events and watch her. And, and not that I'm not grateful for what my parents gave me, but it was very different. And so when my parents got divorced, you know, nobody followed up with me. Like they, they wouldn't know if I applied to colleges, but I did. And I didn't 
you know, I only did because I'm like, I saw Aaron applying and I said, oh, I, got, I guess I got to apply to colleges. And I applied to the same schools that she did because I'm like, oh, we're the same. I like the same things that she does. So why not apply to the same schools? And Villanova was one of them. A lot of Northeastern schools. And I came back and one of my other girlfriends applied to University of South Carolina. And she came back and she says, I'm going to South Carolina. I said, really never even occurred to me to go down south. I said, why? And she's like, oh, it's warm. The weather's nice. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll apply there too. And so I applied and I actually got a scholarship and I just went, I didn't even visit USC, didn't even visit the school. And I remember going down there the week before school and just being like in culture shock and not really sure if I had made the right decision, you know, because I, I- it, I mean, I have to imagine it's a, it's a big school, right? There's what, 30 to 40,000 students. Yes. Right. And and I think it's a, it's a common story, man. I think people whose parents haven't gone to college and they don't have that experience. And I had the same thing. I was, I grew up a blue collar kid. My Mm -hmm. parents graduated eighth grade. My mom later went back and got a GED. So it was, you know, that was, that was super foreign territory. And then so all of a sudden you go from your community and then all of a sudden you're around 35,000 other people who are maybe more prepared for the, you know, college experience. It can be a little overwhelming. So you get on campus and you move into the dorm. Are you rooming with your, with your friend who is going to USC? So no, we said, we decided, we're like, well, we're going to see each other anyways. Let's room at different places and meet people. So we did. And I enjoyed USC. I had so much fun, you know, it was great, but again, had no clue what I wanted to do. And it was like starting around junior year, you have your friends starting to say things like, oh, I think I want to go into nursing or I'm going to go into business or I'm going to move back home or I'm going to move here. And I just remember feeling like, what am I going to do? I don't know where I'm going to live, where I want to live. I don't know where home is. I don't know who I want to be or what career path I had. And, and all I had as to look up to is, yes, my father was really successful, but he was in a million different businesses. And that didn't really speak to my heart in that way. So just feeling really lost, to be honest, Dennis, still, I was kind of like, I got through high school and I finally got to college and felt like I was on my own and being independent and enjoying myself. But then as I got close to the end, I felt that panic again of like, what's next? Yeah. It had to be very stressful, right? Yeah. And so luckily I was always a biology major because like most Asians, I'm good at science and math. Right. So that was my subject. And so again, I, during the summers, I would go home and live with my friend, Aaron's family in Maryland. And so Erin told me, she's like, I'm applying to dental school. And I thought, that's cool. You know, I mean, it's a doctor. So my parents would be super happy if I became a doctor. Right. But it just never even occurred to me because I didn't really grow up even going to the dentist all that often. I mean, just wasn't something my parents did. So just like that, I studied for my DITs and applied to dental schools without even knowing anything about dentistry, like at all to the point. And, and I was very lackadaisical about it where I didn't research it or do anything. So I had interviews and I remember I had the interview at NYU and I went to NYU and there were maybe like five other people interviewing at the same time coming in. And the professor sat there and went around and was like, go around the table and just introduce yourself and tell us if there's any area of dentistry that you have particular interest in and blah, 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 blah. And we went around the room. Thank goodness I didn't go first. 
Right. <laughs> People were going around and they were like, oh, you know, my dad's a prosthodontist and I definitely think I want to go into prosthodontics and somebody would be like, I want to do period. I didn't, they were naming all these specialties that I literally have never even heard of. Sure. And shame on me for not reading up to the profession that I was applying to, but I, that's, I say that to give you a, an idea of where I was in my life. Sure. You know, yeah. it was just figuring out the next day and not really looking ahead. So I came in and I just said, I said, you know, I'm not sure what area of dentistry I want to go into, but I just know I want to be in dental school, which is not entirely true. I mean, I, I did, but I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was going to do next and it just seemed like the next step. So got into NYU and now I'm really independent, right? Oh, really away. You know, I'm, I'm living in a city without anybody that I know, um, no family and just feeling like for the first time, okay, now, now I really have to be in control of my future. Like I gotta, I gotta take hold of it. Like college was fun, but I didn't really focus on anything. And now sure. I'm, I'm going to dental school and I'm paying a tremendous amount to go to dental school and invest right. the next four years. So I'm like, I guess I better like really focus now. And so I was an okay student. I mean, I had decent grades, but it wasn't until I got into the clinics. I remember, and you know, it sounds cliche, but you. Amanda, be, be, before you get into dental school, I, I want to take a step back because I, I yeah. want to know a little bit more about your undergrad because, you know, it's interesting. I just interviewed Jeff Rouse not too long ago. And so many people I've talked to, I know in dentistry, they, they've gotten into dental school or they went to dental school because of a friend. They were going through undergrad, didn't really know what they're going to do. Talking to Jeff, he was too busy having fun in undergrad and hadn't really thought about it. And all of a sudden he's got to figure out what he's going to do with his life. And it's not, a, it's not an uncommon story where people are like, they're influenced. And I don't know if you ever heard Frank Spears' story on influence, how he ended up going into dentistry. No, uh, that's oh, fascinating. It's a, I want to hear it now. So Frank, Frank Spear was going to be a high school football coach and his biology teacher in college pretty much said, no, you're not and grabbed him by the ear and walked him down to the pre-medical counselor. And the guy had been a dentist, I think it's the experience and Frank was influenced to go into dentistry because a biology teacher took him by the ear and walked him down the hall and said, no, you need to talk to this guy. You're, you got more in you and you're going to, you, you need to be, you need to be doing something more. So I think that's super fascinating. I, I came from a background where I knew I was going to be a dentist when I was a little kid, just because I, I liked my dentist and I didn't like my physician. And I knew I wanted to be like in the health, health sciences, health services. But so when you're, I want to know about you as an undergrad, because I think those years really, I think they're super influential in what people become. And, and I was just talking to someone recently who said that the years zero to six are what really influence people on who they become as an adult. I think college years are super formative also. People that you meet, the situations that you're in, how those all sort of form. So what were you like in college? What, like if I met you in college, were you, um, you know, were you in a sorority? Were you, were you hanging out? Were you like just in the library all the time? Were you going to the Gamecock games? What, what, what were you doing in undergrad? Well, I guess I, I would probably need to back up a little bit more to help you understand the person I was because, so I told you I grew up in Virginia beach and my dad was an, always an entrepreneur. And so he, his first big business was a hotel in Virginia beach. Now he works very hard, very busy, but like he, the busier, more successful he became the less present he was at home. Right. Sure. So I started doing ballet classes right 
before we left Virginia Beach, I started. Nothing serious, but really loved it. And then we moved to New Jersey and I really, really got into dancing. And my my dad was, was so busy in other businesses. So my mom would take me to all these ballet classes and private classes. And I began competing as a soloist in ballet all over the country, actually, and actually did really well at it. And it became like a passion of mine. Like, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. That sense, not, not, I would, I really had no understanding of how you could do ballet as a career, but like, I just knew I loved to dance. Right. Sure. And then my, one of, you know, my dad's businesses kind of tanked and basically he lost it all. And when he lost it all, I was at the time taking private courses every day, traveling all over to not having any dance classes ever. Okay. So then we moved at this time to Maryland after he lost everything. And when I moved to Maryland, I felt like I lost this part of me. I mean, that was like my self-expression, my art, my creativity, my outlet. It was something that I had to do because I was the only child for nine years. So it was like always my mom and I, I felt like for me, dancing was a a big part of my childhood. It was your identity a little bit, right? Yes. So then we go to Maryland. We still can't afford classes because he's still trying to just start up a different business. And so a friend that I met said, well, why don't you try it for the cheerleading team? And I'm like, I'm not a cheerleader. I'm a dancer, you know, a ballet dancer. It's very different, but it was free at the time. Public school. Sure. It's not free anymore. I can tell you that <laughs> But <laughs> at, the, at the time it was, I mean, you just had to buy a pair of saddle shoes and that was it. So right. I'm like, I'm like, all right. I mean, it's very different than ballet, but I'll do it. And it was okay. You know, I did it, but then I kept with it in high school. And that's when I, you know, my friend Aaron and I went to high school together and I kept with cheerleading. Well, at one of the competitions at cheerleading, I was recruited by some coaches to be a part of a national team that would go around competing. That's serious stuff that I've watched these cheerleading competitions on ESPN and this is some crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I really get like uptight when people think cheerleading is not a sport because it, depending Uh, on what cheerleaders you see, I mean, that's crazy stuff. I mean, these, uh, these gymnasts are, are, they are kind of gymnasts. These, these cheerleaders are doing, you know, super crazy double black flips off pyramids. And I mean, all sorts of acrobatics, it's insane and intense. Here's the twist, Dennis, right? Because I wasn't a gymnast. I didn't grow up doing back flips or anything. Uh, I was a ballet dancer. So I know how to move my body, but I can't yeah. do flips. So I was re- re- recruited by this, this team and so honored. Here I am like, oh my gosh, feeling like this is incredible. Like I'm on top of the world, right? And yeah, go right. And I meet the team. I'm the only person in the whole team who can't do gymnastics, like flip. Uh, and stuff. I can stunt. I can, you can throw me in the air. You can do anything, but yeah. I can't do that. I wasn't trained that way. Right. Sure. Right. So it's this dichotomy on the one hand of feeling like I can do anything. And then the other hand, feeling almost like a fraud. It, it, that's, that's called the first day of practicing dentistry after you get your dental degree. Yeah. Well, right. Well, <laughs> a very familiar feel, feeling. Yeah. But I felt like, gosh, like I, I shouldn't be here. I'm the only person who can't do this. Well, long story short, I go with this team and at one of the camps one year in the world of cheerleading, there's two companies. There's UCA, which is Universal Cheerleaders Association, and there's NCA, which is National Cheerleaders Association. And as a high school, college, whatever, usually go to one or the other. So we went to NCA camp and at the camp, 
the NCA instructors approached me and said, we would like for you to try out to be an instructor. Like now I think you can just apply, but back then you had to be asked to apply. Sure. So I applied and I got in. And so once you become an instructor, you, you're, it's your job now. You pick the schools that you're going to go to, where you're going to travel, and base your schedule off of all of that. So on the summers during college, I would travel and I was an NCA instructor and I traveled to all these schools to teach the cheerleaders you near know, the camps. Again, the first day of every camp, you meet these instructors from all over the country that you've never met before. And the first thing you do is figure out the routine and what you're going to teach and, and assess everybody's skill set so that you can okay. put the routine. Sure. I can do everything except tumble. The back, right. Right. So again, it's like this familiar feeling. So I just never felt like I could be on top of what I wanted to do, like feeling really good, but not good enough. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sure. And, yeah. and so, but it would always be fine. And I would, I would go and, and teach and teach. And that summer, my first year, I was really nervous to go back and see what, because they rank you, the veteran instructors rank the rookie instructors in the country right. and see, and, you know, I'm the only person Dennis out of all the instructors who can't tumble. Sure. And I got back and I actually, won an award for top 25 rookie instructors. (laughs) And so I remember that award just for me feeling like, okay, you know, like maybe you have something to offer that's different and maybe you can't do everything that everybody else can do and that's okay. Right. But it, but that sense of defeat was in my own mind in a Mm -hmm. sense. So it's, it was this, this game of mental toughness for me to just kind of figure out like, how much I believe in what I can do and what my capabilities were. Right. But it's like, I could never fully give myself permission to believe it or grasp it. I just lived in this place of going back and forth all the time. So that was college. Right. So I I won that award and I remember thinking, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do every summer because then I'll get, I, I don't really have a home to go to. So I can just do this every summer, see the world. Right. This is awesome. And then I get in a terrible car accident and I didn't break anything, but I had a concussion and I just couldn't move my body the same after that. Like, so I was out that summer, there were just so many things like events that happened. And so then it was like the chapter on cheerleading closed. Right. So I felt like, okay, dancing didn't come to fruition. Cheerleading didn't come to fruition. And so here I am the near college. And I just, once I got in that accident, I just didn't really have a next step. So college, I wasn't the person that was in the library every weekend. I had a good time. Did being, academics come easy for you? Was it, uh, did you, were you challenged uh, with, with the courses or was it just like, oh, I can, I, I can go through what I need to do and I'm going to be fine with, the, with my grades? I was an okay student. I mean, I, I came from Maryland that had terrific public schools. And so compared to my classmates in Maryland, I never felt like I did that well. But when I went to USC, and maybe because I was more focused, I don't know, but I, I did really well at USC. It was pretty easy for me. High school was not easy, but I, it's hard for me, Dennis, to look at it objectively because I was, I don't know if emotionally I was at a different place too. Sure. In high school. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but college came pretty easy to me. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I just finished out those last two years kind of not knowing what was next, but feeling like the things that I loved and that I was passionate about were kind of just gone. They're in the rear view yeah. mirror now. 
past and like what's next, right? So that's when, you know, my friend Aaron and, and dental school and everything else. Did, did Aaron's, uh, did she have parents or family that were in dentistry? No. All right. So this is, you guys are just sort of, sort of going on as pioneers into these, this unknown. Yeah. yeah. And so dentistry would have been, this is like, well, I got to do something. I'm good at sciences. It comes easy to me. And uh, so did you think about medicine at all? I mean, you're going down sort of now into sort of a healthcare industry. Did you think about medicine? Yeah, I mean, I, I did, but I didn't, like I said, I, I had no role models really, or anybody that I could identify with where it would speak to me. And so Erin was just like my, my person, you know, she was yeah. that person and I trusted her. I believed in her and I just just went with it. So yeah, a good friend of mine, Steve, we were in, uh, I've known him since I was a kid and we were at Michigan together and he was pre-med, but he wasn't like super thrilled about the whole thing. And I'm like, Steve, you ought to just go check out dental school. I, I was, I had been sort of gearing towards dentistry, I know anything about dentistry, but I just, for some reason, I thought that it would be great. And so Steve then said, all right, I'll check it out. And next thing you know, Steve's going to dental school with me and, you know, super successful. And, you know, so it's so funny, the path that sort of brings oh, us man. into this and, it's uh, unless you have a family member or someone of, who's really influenced you, these stories of how people got into dentistry, I think they're just so fascinating. One person yeah. who, for whatever reason, you know, I knew I wanted to be a dentist. Erin must have known she wanted to be a dentist. And yeah. then yeah. here you are. And then, you know, years later, you're you're a dentist. Yeah. So go figure. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. So you're on campus. You're having fun. You're social. You're you're just making, you know, school, school. And you're just sort of like, hey, this is college life. And then all of a sudden reality hits. And you got to figure out what you want to do when you grow up someday. And Erin, Erin guide you and hold your hand. Did she go to NYU also? No, she went to um, Baltimore, Maryland for dental school. Now, when you uh, when you're applying to dental schools, did you have any rationale on where you were applying or did you just sort of spitball it and say? Actually, I so growing up in Maryland, I grew up near the DC area. And when we lived in New Jersey from when we did, I always was fascinated with New York City too. There is, I, I'm a city girl at heart. I mean, I just loved it. So NYU was my first choice. I wanted to go to a big city and coming out of college. I mean, I just felt like, okay, if I'm going to live the next four years somewhere on my own, like no one's helping me. My parents are here and there. I just envisioned myself being in a city. So New York was my first pick, but again, had no idea about the difficulty of any dental school getting in. I mean, I luckily I I didn't apply to that many. I in hindsight I probably should have just as in, in case as a backup. But sure. yeah, I, think I applied to like three or four, and NYU was my top choice, and I got in. So I just decided to go. So walk me back. So you you walk into dental school the first day. Do you remember the feeling? Yeah, for me it was nice in the sense of it was a, a fresh start. I felt like I could kind of rewrite my story in a way, oh, even yeah. though it was unknown. I was sure if I was like dentistry, but it was, like I said, it, it, the moment came when we had our first clinic and you walk in and the first thing you do with your hands is a wax up. And I remember doing that and I'm like, I really like this, you know, and, and I've always been into the arts and yes, it was performing arts, but also visual arts. I, I liked photography in high school as an elective. Um, I did sculpting as an elective. I, I, would draw, I would, you know, so for me, visual and performing arts is, is huge. So I didn't really realize that dentistry would require that skill set. And so right. when we sat down and started doing this, I'm like, this is amazing. And it was also the time when you realize that the smartest people academically sometimes 
really struggle with their hand skills. It's a great leveling field. It levels things out, right? Right. Because you can have people who are great academic, and but then when you have to put the hands on, that can that can make some things different. And it's not that it they can't train them to be those skill sets to be better, but I I realized at that point that I had somewhat a natural skill set for it. But being the way I am, I wanted, you know, that's the the athlete in me or the dancer or whatever. I wanted to just keep getting better and do it more and do it more and do it more. And so that's when I just got really into, and at the time, aesthetic dentistry wasn't really something I was really aware of. What, what year, I, what year did you go to school? I was there from 98 to 2002. Can I ask yeah. you another question before you go into that? So I, I didn't ask this, but I was wondering culturally being of an Asian background, Vietnamese background, and you go to South Carolina, which is, you know, the South culturally was, did you, was your issues at, at all? Did you, did you find any issues going to South Carolina back sure. in those days? For sure. I, I'm not surprised. And, and so I bring this up, my when I was a GPR resident, one of the guys, uh, Pete was an MD resident and I was the first Jewish guy he had met. And he was, you know, 20 some years old, you know, and, and he told stories about the old days and he grew up in Charleston and it's just sort of a different experience. So I wonder, and so as I think about that, I think about going to NYU, now you're in a very culturally diverse community. And I, and I don't know, but I, I'm assuming that there was sort of maybe a little bit of coming home because you were in now into this culturally diverse community was, was that part of yeah I, yeah I had imagined walking in to the school you saw people who were more like you and who and different races different ethnicities right yes. it's sort of a pure white community when I was in Maryland it was the same thing I mean I had friends from all different races religions and everything else and then coming to South Carolina I mean you know I was the person like are you related to so-and-so because I was the <laughs> Carolina, you know, I mean, it was a real real step back for me. And so yes, coming to New York was really nice, because even more so than being in the DC area, I mean, it was such a melting pot. And I loved it. I mean, I really, really loved it. And it was something that has changed the person that I became. So you know, when I talk about my journey and how dental school was, I'm a different person. And it's not that it was because of dental school. It's just the events of my life that led up to dental school and things that happened afterwards, you know? So, but it was, it, it was wonderful. I enjoyed being in New York for four years and I met David in, in college and he moved up to New York with me during those four years. So we just, we loved every minute of just exploring the city and, and meeting new people. And he's a Southern boy. So for him, he was like, oh my gosh, this world is so much bigger than I thought. Oh. Yeah. So it, it was great. And, you know, at the end of four years, he was the one actually that was like, I don't want to go back to South Carolina. Like, he's like, I want to, I want to live in a big city because he just, he couldn't believe what it was like. But yeah, I mean, South Carolina for sure is culturally very different and and still is. It's much better, but I think it's, it's not diverse when you're comparing to cities like New York. Yeah. But every, every city has its, has its beauty and has what makes it awesome, some less awesome than others, but certainly the cultural diversity in New York is unlike any place I've ever been in my lifetime. But then I get to come down to your community, Charleston, over Thanksgiving. So excited. We're going to eat at Tusk and there's some other great restaurants we're going to be doing. But every community has its advantages and disadvantages. And 
I think being able to get exposed to other communities helps you really embrace those and then also embrace what, you know, different communities can provide. So, and what did David do? So were you guys married when, when you started dental school? No, we were not married. We got married my last year in dental school, right before my last year, but he was, it was during like the dot-com time period. So he worked for this startup that was great until it wasn't. So, and he worked for Xerox for a while. So he did like, he worked well, he did Xerox first and then he did a dot-com company. So, but he's been around enough dentistry talk all his life to probably fool people into believing that he knows something about dentistry. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm doing the same. So that works out for me. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've always admired and been blown away by people who have relationships in dental school and how those relationships uh, continue on and are successful. Because for me, dental school is incredibly stressful. Well, I got through dental school only through the compassion and love of my classmates who were incredible incredible in supporting me. And I mean, we supported each other, but God, they supported me way more than I supported them. And I look at these relationships and we had many people who were married and it's like, how does your partner withstand if you had half the stress level that I did, how, how are they doing that? So I, can, would you mind talking about that? What, what the relationship was like as you're, cause I think we have a lot of dental students who listen to these and I think you could offer some advice or maybe experience what made it work and what the challenges were. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you that my husband is, is a special man and he's a huge supporter of everything that I do. And, and, you know, when we were in dental, when I was in dental school, I mean, we were dating, but I don't know. I don't know what the secret formula is. I mean, it, it was stressful, but I didn't, I didn't feel the same stress that I felt like I, when I was in high school. For me, it was like these bursts of, okay, this week I've got these exams. So it's like, I know this week, like I would tell David, like, I've got to like bury myself at the Starbucks or stay up late or do whatever. But it was almost like binge studying. And then you have fun for a week. And then it's like binge studying and then you have fun, you know? So, but it wasn't so stressful. And maybe it was because the group of friends that I had, I had a, a tight circle of friends at NYU where we would all study together and they were also David's friends. So we would come over to our little 250 square foot studio in New York City, right. order food and all hang out with David and study. And then David would be like, okay, guys, I'm going to bed. And we'd go to Starbucks or we would, you know, I mean, and it was just, I always had a community. I always had people with me where I didn't feel like I was doing it by myself. It made it more enjoyable that way, more fun. Yeah. And it definitely makes the learning value better for sure. Yeah, I'd agree. When I was in Michigan, we, we had a lot of fun. And so when I was stressed, I think uh, we worked hard and we played hard. Yes. And and I, I tell the story. I have anyone who knows me has heard the story before. I was studying the law library. This is our first year, freshman year, D1. And the law library at Michigan is very Oxfordian. It's, it looks like the like a library out of Oxford. It's beautiful. It has all the stained glass. And uh, libraries at University of Michigan, people study. And people study on Friday nights and Saturday nights. And so Saturday night at midnight, I'm studying in the back of the law library. It's all these sort of uh, long tables. And I was faced towards the back of the library because I didn't want to be distracted. And I'm studying for gross anatomy. And I'm 
I'm charting out the veins of the hand. I think I was doing, and it's midnight. And literally I hear people laugh in the law library and no one ever laughs in the law library. I mean, you, you can hear a pin drop, right? And I don't turn around, but I, I, I know my classmates and I say to myself, this is going to be about me. And so I just start packing up my bags and four of my classmates come in and you could never do this today, but they come in with nylons over their faces and hoodies on. And they literally just pick me up on my chair, grab my backpack. They hijacked me and they said, this is the last time you study on a Saturday night dental school. Mm -hmm. And they threw me literally, they literally tossed me into the back of a Jeep and drove me to a party. And (laughs) those are, those are are the friends, right? And those are the people that really sort of helped me get through. And I think for, for people who are going through dental school, like you said, you you have to have, you have to surround yourself in a community of of people who can support you uh, Mm -hmm. because it's uh, overwhelming. Otherwise I think it can be overwhelming. It's so much to learn, you know, emotionally it can be really taxing, right? You're learning, trying to manage the didactic with the clinical and all that stuff. It's all new. And especially if you come to a new community. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad you shared that because I think those are, that's a great story. And I think that's really important for people to hear. Yeah. It's awesome. I want to talk about dental school a little bit before we move on to some other stuff. So as you're going through dental school and you're, you're liking what you're learning and you're sort of feeling like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in the right place. This is the right place for a man to see. Is that Mm -hmm. sort of what you're grooving on? Yeah. I mean, and, and I loved the clinics. I mean, absolutely loved it. Now, did I know I really, the term aesthetic dentistry, I, that wasn't familiar to me. I didn't know that there was any of that. And it wasn't until there was talk starting near the end of dental school where Larry Rosenthal was building his aesthetic wing or center at the school. And I was thinking like, what does that mean? Like, is it, we're going to do a lot of veneers in this clinic or what? Because Larry would come talk to us, um, you know, here and there at the school. So I knew that he did a lot of cosmetic work for big clients and celebrities, but I couldn't really grasp that you could just get in like a specialty of sorts of cosmetic dentistry. Sure. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was in its infancy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I did really well in dental school and I'm like, I just was really into doing really pretty dentistry, but didn't but have even a your restorative, Even your restorative dentistry, you're, you're just doing class two composite, you're doing whatever yeah. you're doing a denture setup. You're still looking at it. Like, I want this to look awesome. Whatever, I, whatever I'm trying doing. I got a oral surgery clinic whenever I could. I, I knew yeah. I did not want to pull teeth. Like that was not Same. for me. I me. knew I didn't like endodontics. Same I, me. I knew I didn't like pedodontics. But I I thought, you know, I, denture setup, I'm like, there's some arts in that. I didn't mind doing that. So I just, I kind of narrowed it down. I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to be a GP. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. Do you remember your first uh, procedure you did, did on a human being? Oh, Yes. His name was Herbs. It was his foreign name. Sweet, sweet man. Could not understand him. I had to do a number eight. I think that's David. There's David in the yeah, background. David's doing a cameo. Anyways, no just keeping it real. Yeah, exactly. I had to do a buildup on a crown on number 18. And it was one of those, he's one of those patients. So sweet, so kind, but like he opens his mouth and it was like his tongue completely covered the tooth. <laughs> you know? And you don't, we didn't have dental assistants. You work by yourself. So like first time working, like you just don't even, and I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I can't see any, uh, like, I don't even know. I got nothing done. I remember I could barely even like put a dent in his amalgam and thinking like, this is horrible. Like, this is horrible. Like I can't, I don't know how to do this. And they didn't teach us at the time to put a rubber dam on to prep a tooth. 
um, necessarily sure. right for a crown. Right. I mean, if you did a class two restoration or something, maybe, but you're not right. doing that to just prep a crown and keep a tongue out of the way. I would do that now. But I remember thinking like, oh, shoot, I don't know if I'm going to like this so much. That was my first procedure. But then you realize when you have that and then you, you have some <laughs> easier patients after that, that it's not so bad. But yeah, yeah. I remember that. It's so funny these uh, these experiences when we're in dental school, and then even in practice, right? How how they how they shape you and stuff like that. That's really funny. Yeah. That's that's a good yeah. first patient to remember. It's a good first patient to have behind you. Yes, yes, but such a nice man, and he had so much work to do that I saw him for like months. Like he would just come in every week, and we would chip away at his work. Before we get out of dental school experience, uh, give advice for people who are in dental school right now. What advice do you have for them? I would really spend the time to look at the specialties seriously to figure out what you really like or dislike. I, like I said, I didn't have this real plan of what I wanted to do. It was more like, I know what I don't want to do, but really explore it and, and find mentors early in dental school. I mean, I didn't, the concept of a mentor for me, that did not even happen until after school, after I paid all this money to go to all this CE that I realized like I could have accelerated my path of learning had I had a mentor right from the get-go. Yeah. But I I didn't have that. And I wish I would have really understood that concept. And I don't know. I don't know what that is. I mean, maybe culturally too, it's like you, there's something there. I don't know, but it, I didn't yeah. ask for help. I felt like I didn't want to ask for help because it was wrong or inconvenient, but it's not. Or show the weakness, show, show yeah. the weakness, right? It's different, right? So the, the concept of asking from somebody that is doing something you want to do, doing it better, doing it well, and asking them if they can coach you, give advice, or if you can shout at them. It's huge. Yeah, I agree. I think without mentorship, it's uh, it's such a it can be such a challenging career. But especially when you're starting out, just uh, getting have another voice, have getting some guidance, getting some direction. It's I, yeah. I think it's been invaluable in my career, and I I think I've been fortunate to be around some young dentists, and being able to offer mentorship with that. And we certainly do that with dental online training and stuff mm -hmm. too. So so yeah, I agree. Mentorship is so important in our career and our profession. So yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, if you enjoyed our visit with Amanda, you're going to love part two of our conversation about the grace of balancing a, being a mom and a wife with being a dentist and running a busy dental practice. Amanda shares so much with us about her journey into dentistry and through dentistry and the people who have served as mentors to her and how she's gotten to have the skills and be able to do the dentistry that she does today. Now, don't forget that DOT has so many other great learning opportunities from our Wine and Unwind those are our monthly webinars where we engage real time with our viewers as we bring in leaders from throughout the dental industry. And we have our monthly coffee and donut study club mentoring sessions. In these meetings, participants bring in cases that they're trying to get more information on and how, how to treatment plan. And in our group setting via Zoom, we help each other become better dentists and help provide better dentistry for our patients. We also have our live virtual workshops where we cover everything from treating the worn dentition to preparation design for porcelain veneers to full bonded veneers. So many different techniques and ideas in dentistry that we're able to explore during these live virtual workshops. Of course, we have our blogs and we have our endless selection of hands-on pre-recorded technique courses 
to help you improve the quality of your dentistry and bring better dentistry to your patients. So check us out at dothandson.com. And if you enjoyed our Surecast, please share it with your colleagues. And again, thanks for joining us. As always, I'm yours for better dentistry, Dr. Dennis Hartleib. Thanks so much for listening to the Surecast. If you are not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe to our Surecast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're loving the Surecast, share it with your colleagues. And please rate it and leave us a review. Also, if you want access to fantastic clinical, managerial, and leadership tips to help you in your practice of dentistry, check us out at dothandson.com or find me on Instagram at HartleyDDS. This episode was created with special help from Clear O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dixon Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, yours for better dentistry.